Charlie. Mark, one Charlie. Ladies and gentlemen, I'm full of optimism. Einstein's theory of relativity. We're still seeing it quite well through that haze. About the future innovations and growing strength in the air. This is Finding Your Frequency with your hosts, Jeff Spinard and Ryan Treasure. It's time to speak up, share your voice, and hear from the thought leaders. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another fantastic episode of Finding Your Frequency. I'm your host, Ryan Treasure, and I want to welcome you guys to this outstanding episode that we're going to be having today. So many times we, we, we sit on this radio show, we talk about, uh, you know, entrepreneurism, we talk about, you know, breaking out of your comfort zone and following your passions and all that kind of stuff. But, you know, I, I don't think we've ever had the conversation of what drives those passions, what, what, what causes an individual to go out and, and, and do what they're doing, you know, versus the, I have a great idea and I really like it, but what, what is further driving those things? And, you know, I can kind of tell you guys a story a little bit about my own life. Uh, my father passed away when I was 15 years old. Um, from Agent Orange due to cancer, uh, and and he was in the Vietnam War, and he was in the 101st Airborne uh, Army, and he flew cover missions for dropping this uh, this chemical all over the all over the forest uh, in in Vietnam, and uh, later, you know that that's what led to his departure from this earth, and I think a lot of the things that I do uh, on a given day are really driven by, you know, things that I heard and learned from my father. Um, I went into the military because my dad was in the military and I felt like that was the right thing to do to kind of follow in his footsteps. And, um, you know, I always have this in the back of my mind and my dad always used to tell me if you're not going to do something right, don't do it at all. Um, and I think that to this day is a driver behind a lot of the things that I do on a daily basis. Uh, you know, I don't usually curse on this radio show, but my dad used to always tell me, don't half-ass stuff because that's not the point. Uh, and that teaching, those things have always stuck with me on a daily basis when I do this radio show, when, I, I, when I'm a husband, a father, you know, trying to take care of the house, trying to you know, be, the, be the man around the house and uh, do all of those things. I always, I always think to myself, I always say to myself, don't half-ass this, Ryan, because your dad would be pissed. <laughs> So we're going to talk a little bit about that today and talk about grief and how some of those things are drivers in our everyday lives. Uh, and we have a fantastic guest that's going to be joining us today, Cheryl Jones, who's a grief counselor and author and expert in the space. She's a consultant and group leader at the free therapy program of the Women's Cancer Resource Center uh, and also has a wonderful radio show on the Voice America Health and Wellness channel. Uh, Cheryl Jones, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me, Ryan. I'm really happy to, to be talking here um, in this vein about finding, finding our frequencies, how we get there. Yeah, and I, I appreciate you taking time out of your schedule to join us today. Uh, and you kind of heard in the beginning of the show, I mean, you know, the preface of this is, you know, what are those intangible components that really drive people? Um, and, you know, and I think we can we can go down that road a little bit more. But first, let's talk about Cheryl. Let's talk about you. I mean, you have a wonderful radio program on the Voice America Health and Wellness channel uh, called Good Grief. It's on Wednesdays at two o'clock Pacific time on the Health and Wellness channel. But Cheryl, let, let's talk about uh, uh, how you found your frequency. Where where in your life did you get that 
aha moment that you were going to be a, a, a family uh, uh, a therapist and you're going to help people struggle through their grief and, uh, you know, teach people what their strengths are, help them ignite their courage. Uh, where, where did that start for you? So there's two parts of that story. One is how I became interested in being a therapist. And that was uh, experiencing anxiety and depression in my life and finding therapy incredibly helpful with coping with that, with responding to it. And so uh, I was becoming a therapist when my wife was diagnosed with multiple myeloma, which is a uh, pretty terrible disease, actually. It's It's a cancer of the blood, and it tends to break down the bones, which is the version she had, lots of bone breakage and all that. And at the time, it was it was uh, imminently fatal, like six months or a year they gave her. But she lived for almost a decade. And uh, so during that time, you know, I finished my training. I started working as a therapist. And I, I from the very beginning, because of that experience with her, I was thinking in terms of... Um, grief in terms of losses in terms of how we cope in life and what comes what 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 became imminently clear is that things can come out of those experiences that are beautiful and unexpected so uh you know slow forward (laughs) since it was almost a decade she died in 1995 and i continued that work and i became more and more uh I had changed so much in that time by facing up to the loss of her, by facing up to death as a subject, by learning what I was made of, uh, actually, because uh, if someone had said, you know, you're going to support someone who's very disabled and ill for 10 years and then they're going to die, I would not have expected the kinds of strengths that I found in myself. Um, And... It, 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 yes, it took courage to hang in, but love will give you courage, right? <laughs> you know, it, uh, I could not have have left her at any point in that in that one because I loved her, and two because I was so committed to supporting her. So I think I'm a good example of what I talk about on my show that our you know, worst experiences sometimes transform us in the biggest ways and help us find our callings. So then way fast forward, I wanted to take my work beyond my office, but I can't, I couldn't really figure out how to do it. And that's a really common thing that kind of thinking it through doesn't always work once you've had those experiences. But uh, your producer, um, Winston called me out of the blue. I have no idea how he found me. I wasn't a big presence at the time. And uh, we started talking about me doing a show. So uh, that certainly took me out into the world in a different way than I had been. Yeah, and isn't it interesting how just some of those um, you know, those opportunities in our lives just kind of show up out of the blue, kind of like that phone call that you probably got from Winston that was kind of out of the blue. Well, and the thing is, uh, you know, I already had my attention on how how do I take my work out of my office into the world, or I might not have paid attention. I had no goal at all to be a radio host. I couldn't have invented that. Right. It was, it was preparation met opportunity. 
Yeah, and that was literally in 2013 when you started that radio program. And here we are, you know, in 2027 years later. Absolutely. And uh, that means that uh, for every week for six and a half years, roughly, Mm -hmm. I've talked with someone who has had this experience. And your listeners might not have ever heard of something called post-traumatic growth. Uh, Most people have heard of post-traumatic stress disorder, Mm -hmm. and I imagine you're familiar, you know, um, very likely your dad had some maybe minor version of that, you know, um, (laughs) uh, most people or major. Yeah, I think my (laughs) dad's was probably pretty major. It was just, you know, when 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 I was growing up, um, you know, different from like Desert Storm uh, and some of the Middle Eastern conflicts that have been happening, you know, over the last 10 or 15 years. Um, there's been a large magnifying glass on PTSD, whereas, you know, the guys coming home from the Vietnam era there, you know, they they that that wasn't the case at the time. Wasn't the case. Yeah, and not, and not I think we I think we uh, so many more um, soldiers who were in Vietnam died of suicide than died in the war. And uh, after they came back. Yeah, and that's you know, probably due to the PTSD that was undiagnosed at the time. I think that was, I think it was that coupled with uh, the lack of welcome when they returned. I think those two things together really made it hard on people. So, you know, studies, what studies show is about 7% of people who go through trauma Losses is traumatic in some ways, but it could be any, you know, it could be war. It could be lots of other traumas. 7% will be uh, diagnosable as having full-blown PTSD. But 60 to 90% of people will have what has been come to be called post-traumatic growth. And that is... um, it's being studied at the University of North Carolina if people are interested, but that is the sense that these terrible things that happen in our life, we will later be able to say, I grew from that. And they've identified the ways that people grow. Uh, It doesn't mean we're not traumatized, but it's kind of a parallel path. So that's the heart of I was I was working in that way before I ever was introduced to that to that uh, study and work that's happening around post traumatic growth, but it fits perfectly what my thinking that uh, terrible things are going to happen, and the question is how are we going to respond to them? How are we going to grow from them as well as um, you know go yeah. through pain? Cheryl, do you think that? Um you know, every human being, when when faced with some type of an altercation or, or 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 something, right? They have this fight or flight kind of mentality, right? You're either going to hang in there and fight about it, or you're going to fly away and run away. I, I, I would add freeze, freeze, fight, fl- fight. Yeah, that's one that's <laughs> that's come through in the last I don't know decade. Fight, flight, or freeze. Yeah, and uh, I, I guess I I grew you know? freeze. I grew, I grew freeze with flight. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah, but when you're freezing, you're not running. That's yeah. the difference. <laughs> well, and I, and, I, and I guess that that's a good point. And when you talk about post traumatic uh, growth, you know, I think that 
anytime that a human being is faced with um, an inopportune circumstance that causes them some grief, I think kind of the same thing happens. You know, it's it's kind of like that fight or flight or maybe freeze as well. But, um, you know, like you said, you have six percent of people who are PTSD and, you know, those are like the flight. And then you have, uh, you know, whatever you said, the percentage of people who have post-traumatic growth. And that would be like people who are fighting. Um and I think that's really what happens with most people. You know, in my life, I told you earlier, I lost my dad when I was 15. I had, I had a whole slew of uh, family deaths when I was a teenager. That was really weird. My uncle died. My father died. My grandmother died um, all within like a three or four year window. And, you know, and I have always thought about that in, in, in my own mind and, and kind of like, you know, I actually did make a choice at that time because I could have chose to freeze or flight or, you know, sink back into myself and and do something. But I chose the opposite. I chose, I said, you know what? I can't let these things that have hurt me so deeply as a young adolescent um, define where I'm going and what I'm doing, which is why I made the decision uh, when I was 17 to go into the Navy. Uh, You know, I was like, well, I mean, they're going to sit around here and and feel sorry for myself because my dad died and, you know, struggle my way through college and think about it here while I'm living in my hometown or or I'm going to I'm going to get out of here. I'm going to go do something and go learn some stuff. Um, And that's really why I made the decision to go in the Navy, because it was like um, part of my coping mechanism. I just I like I felt like I had to get out of my hometown. I had to get away from Phoenix. I had to go do something. So I wasn't stuck here. Uh, I really uh, resonate with that. And also, I'm thinking about uh, my oldest child. She was 14 when my wife died. And recently we were talking and she said, uh, you know, the biggest takeaway from uh, and her dad, uh, her her biological father died when she was 11. So like you, she had some big losses, plus the fact that my wife had cancer meant we had a lot of people around us dying, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we were in support groups and et cetera. Yep. Uh, and so she was saying, you know, here's my biggest takeaway from that time in my life. Life is short. Do, what, do what's right for you. Don't hesitate. Yeah. And uh, I think I hear that in what you're saying, like, I need to get going, right? Yeah. <laughs> I need to get going and, and do my life uh, and not dilly-dally around about it. Uh, yeah. And that I, I like, shows... I had, a, I had a son. I had a son when I was 16 years old all throughout all of that also, you know, which was which was another thing that's crazy. Him and I have a great relationship now, but... Um, yeah, I mean, just throw in the loss and then like, oh, hey, you're going to be a dad, <laughs> you know, yeah, at, just, at a young just, age. Just on the side there. Yeah, hey. <laughs> well, I think we're also talking, Ryan, about uh, immediately after uh, loss events and then later down the road because, uh, you know, especially as a teen, uh y- we, we are so geared towards the, the, the task of that period of life is to launch, right? Mm-hmm. And I, I like to say development stops for no person, right? <laughs> that, that was your job then. Uh, I interviewed someone whose parents were murdered when he was 14, Scott Stabile, wonderful man. And um, he said, I had to pack that away. I was not mature enough to really, uh, really handle it really 
go, you know, go through the feelings and get to the other side. And so what he did was he just kept going on his path, right? But with a lot of energy. (laughs) And then uh, every year on the anniversary of this, uh, uh, of their deaths, he would lock himself in a room and cry all day. And then he'd brush himself off and go forward again. Now, um, he's, he's a particularly, um, resilient type of person, I guess I'd say, but he later did have to go back and, and really go through the feelings of that, but that's led to the work of his life. He's written a book called Big Love. He talks a lot about forgiveness. He forgave the person who murdered his parents. You know, it really turned into a life calling, but yeah. ultimately, usually that doesn't happen immediately yeah and you know i i kind of have a similar experience i I don't i don't lock myself in a room and cry all day but um (laughs) because because my father was in the military and you know every every time i go to my mom's house and my mom and i have like the coolest relationship my mom is the 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 coolest most like down-to-earth human being um you know, I, I guess for, I guess my mom is like my best friend too. You know I mean? We've been through a lot together. Mm-hmm. My mom is so tough. It's insane. Um, but every time I go to my mom's house and we do this on Sundays, you know, it's kind of part of our family thing. My wife and I and our, and my, and our daughter, you know, we, we go to my mom's house on, on Sundays and hang out. My grandmother lives at my mom's house, uh, on my mom's side. And, um, and so we all kind of hang out together, uh, and get to see each other, which is great, but it's also, um, a time every week it reminds me of my dad because I walk through the hallway to use the restroom and hanging on the hallway uh, inside the hallway is a couple of things. One is a picture of me uh, when I was in boot camp in the Navy. Uh, another one is a picture of my father with his army uniform on. Uh, and then next to that is a, a, a you know, like a, uh, like a shadow box that has all of my father's um, ribbons and medallions and medals and, you know, every time I walk by that, number one, I feel really proud that uh, my father served in the army and he did what he did. And uh, especially in an elite unit in the 101st Airborne's as a Green Beret and um, Memorial Day is kind of like that day for me where. Uh, yeah, for you know, many, many people yeah. who have your experience. Yeah. And so sure. Memorial Day is a day where, you know, I, and, and I'm constantly reminding people just because, you know, I'm a veteran also. And I'm like, I'm like, y'all can't get Memorial Day and Veterans Day mixed up. It's not. Right. No, 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 no. <laughs> Don't do it. <laughs> that's so hurtful. Yeah. But I mean, sure. but, but like you say on those, you know, uh, my that's not the anniversary of when my father died. But that's like the day where I, I, I remember him. Um, his flag that was presented to my mother um, during his funeral is folded in and it's up on a case in, in my mom's family room. Um, and I do, and I take 10 minutes and I stand there and I look at that flag and I remember him. I remember us. I remember fishing and all these fun things that we had. But then I also remember the grief that it was caused when I was 15 years old. And I remember that two year stretch from 15 to 17 when I'm like, you know, what am I going to do with my life? I really had some issues in school at that time. Um, I was promiscuous. Obviously, I told you I had a child. Um, uh, <laughs> not always true. That prom- you, promiscuity is not required. Correct. But in your case. <laughs> yeah, in my case, I think I was just kind of looking for like anything and everything to escape reality. Yes. You know, what whether it was, you know, you know, hanging out with the wrong people or going out and staying up late and all these kind of things. And I think that I feel I feel so bad now looking back on that too for my mom because, you know, my here's my mom going through 
like all of this grief on her own because her husband passed away. And then here I am being a little shithead, <laughs> you know, and thinking just about myself. Um, and then so now my mom's but of dealing course with that's, her grief. I mean, me. <laughs> I, I, be merciful with yourself because that is a very common grief reaction for uh, any age, but especially that age. How do I bury this? You know, I don't want to feel that, you know, and then add to that socialization. I don't think that in general, and there are exceptions, I don't, I don't think most men are invited into their feelings, you know, uh, growing up. You know, so you had a lot to contend with. I hope you have some mercy for yourself looking back too, <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> for your no. mom and for you. <laughs> yeah, and I, and I, you know, honestly, now that I'm, you know, 40 years old, and I don't necessarily, I don't even think, really think about that part as much as I used to anymore. I more, you know, for me, it's more about just remembering my dad and you know the things that were awesome about him and. Um, and just making sure that I'm there for my mom, you know, because I felt like for so long after my father died, I was not there really for my mom. I was kind of mm-hmm. trying to figure out what I was going to do for myself. And then I left, you know, and I was gone for a couple of years in the military. And um, yeah, and oddly enough, um, I came home and I think I came home in August and then 9-11 happened in September, like right after I got home from the military. And I was like, wow. I was like, I need to go back. What am I doing home? I should be there. And my ship deployed like two weeks after that. The USS Theodore Roosevelt was the first ship deployed into the Middle East at the time. Um, I was in the Navy and I, I literally, I almost, almost called them and was like, do y'all want me back? You know, and having a conversation with my mom, my mom said to me like, you know, son, things happen for a reason. You're home now for a reason. You need to do something different. And that always resonated with me. And again, I tell you, my mom is just an amazing person. She's just so strong. And I did. I was like, yeah, mom, you're right. I'm going to go. She sounds gonna, strong and wise. I'm huh? going to radio school. <laughs> <laughs> is that what you did instead of radio school? And here you are. Look at that. Yeah. 20 some you know, odd years later. <laughs> I, I don't know if you'll resonate with this, but uh, I guess I would say that every year, you know, it'll be 25 years since my, my wife died in, in a few months in October. And every year, uh, the proportion of feelings changes. Uh, I would say that the, the primary feeling that I experience about our time together, she and I, and my ongoing relationship with her, you know, because I don't think relationships end. Uh, obviously, you've just oh, been never. talking about hearing <laughs> your dad in your head, right? Yeah. Uh, the, the primary thing I feel at this point is gratitude uh, and for many things, you know, for her in my life. I met yeah. her when I was 16. Uh, so we had a substantial amount of time together um, <laughs> for the people that showed up and cared for us. Um, the, the kind of angels that that hovered around us for that almost a decade for the ways that we were able to, the people that came into our life to teach us how to cope with it um, for the fact that we had access to um, pretty phenomenal health care that kept her alive for a really long time. You know, all these points of gratitude um, become more predominant for me. That being said, of course, if I'm walking behind someone who walks like her, you know, (laughs) and, and they're ahead of me and, and it kind of, 
bumps me into her in her body, uh, if that makes sense. I can still feel a jab, right? Um, grief doesn't, uh, the, the more difficult parts of grief don't go away. They just, they don't come up as often. They aren't, um, they aren't, they're integrated into my life now. That's, I could not subtract that experience from who I am now. It's, it's woven through everything about me. Yeah. And I, I, I feel the same way too with my father passing and, you know, um, I think you're right now. I mean, I think in the beginning, you know, for the first five or six years or something, I was, you know, kind of like in this sad, sultry, sulky kind of mentality. And then over time, I really have kind of progressed to this, I guess, thankful feeling because it's like, you know, you're going to laugh. This is a funny story. Um, I have a lot of friends of mine. None of them are mechanically inclined whatsoever. Okay. Like I get, I get, uh, I love Winston to death. He calls me to help me help him do oil change on his car. Right? <laughs> Winston, Winston and I are great friends. Um, He's such a capable person. That, I know. That really makes me laugh. <laughs> right. Such a capable guy. And you know, uh, he called me, he calls me and he's like, Ryan, my window won't roll up. And I'm like, all right, well, what are you doing on Saturday? And he's like, I guess I'm coming to your house so you can work on my window. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and, and, and he has a, his, he has a son who's five and I have a daughter who's six. Uh, and then he's got another little one that's just about a little over, a little over one. And, um, you know, so they'll come over and my daughter and, and, and Alex, they play, play together and it's great fun and they're, they're good friends. And, uh, both of the kids do martial arts, as you know, Winston does martial arts on his own. Absolutely. And then my, my daughter yeah. also does martial arts, not with Winston, but, um, cause we live on two polar opposite sides of town. Um, but you know, so the two kids get together and I fix the car and we hang out and it's great fun. But you know, um, this happens to me all the time. Um, and every time I touch a vehicle where, whether I'm doing an oil change on my own vehicle, I'm changing a tire, you know, um, I just had to put new fuel injectors in my wife's Ford, um, which is an uncanny, funny story in and of itself because my dad hated Fords. Um, <laughs> and the funny thing is, is so much as my dad hated Fords, uh, we had a 1972 Ford Ranger. It was before they had the F100, uh, you know, F-150 series. So the Ranger was the full-size pickup truck. Um, and we had this in our driveway for, I don't know how many years. And my dad and I, every weekend, we're working on this Ford. And I think this is the reason why my dad would always cuss Fords because he had, we had this Ford in the driveway. He was always working on it, um, which ended up being my first vehicle. Um, and, and so every time I touch my wife's Ford, I'm like, God, I hate these Fords, you know, and, and it just makes me remember my dad, but it's a thankful feeling because if it wasn't for all those weekends of, you know, tinkering around with this pickup truck and, you know, we did a motor swap on it. It was an inline six cylinder three on the tree. For those of you who are like 30 and under, you probably have no idea what I'm talking about. Um, but Cheryl, you do three on the tree, right? You shifted on the column. <laughs> And, uh, Absolutely. Yeah. And so and so we, we spent, a lost art for <laughs> sure. <laughs> oh, here, here's a funny one. I, a stick shift is a millennial anti theft device. <laughs> yes, I, I can see what you're saying there. Absolutely. But just well, back, back to your point, right? It's um, that thankful feeling, right? And I and if it wasn't for that time that I spent with my father, like I wouldn't know, you know, how to do some of these things that my friends need help with. And because of my ability to do some of those things, it helps me to cultivate better relationships with the people that I know. And I can't help but sit back and uh, and and say thank you to my dad for that, right? 
For sure. I also feel as if, and, and this this might be a little, you know, out there for some people. I feel as if when someone dies that we love a lot, they jump into us a bit. <laughs> Here's a funny example. Uh, my first wife did all the cooking. She was uh, from the Mississippi Gulf Coast. She was black. She made incredible, you know, gumbo and Soul all food. those things. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> you know, and I, I don't. Even up to the point until she went to bed to never get out of bed again, she did the cooking. She loved it, right? So I didn't cook at all. So she died around Halloween. All the holidays are coming. She used to do a, a party every New Year's Day, and she would just cook for a week for this party. So I was going to do the party. Well, you know, I had never cooked. I would never have cooked she used to call it a pot of something because if it didn't have okra, it was a pot of something, not gumbo. But <laughs> that's a technicality. That's <laughs> so said, awesome. Well, I'm going to give it a go, right? And uh, I, I swear I felt as if I'd been inhabited. I didn't know how to cook it. I didn't pay that much attention. I just enjoyed eating it. But it came out just the way hers did. And... Um, I felt as if I'd sort of, she'd sort of like missed the cooking and, you know, <laughs> pop back in or something. But I actually came to really love cooking after that, which I, I used to do it in sort of a t- utilitarian way when I did it, but not with any great love for it. That came from her. Uh, and you could say, you know, she sort of, um, gave me some of her qualities when she died. You could say I honored those qualities. You know, there are all kinds of explanations, but the experience for me was I have a piece of her in me now. And that's what I think about when you're talking about, you know, the cars. You you have that yourself, and it's connected to your father. Oh yeah, it 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 totally you know? is, and you know what's crazy too is like you were saying, like you've never made that before. There's there's been times like my wife's car is like a newer car; it's like a 2012 or something like that. Um, and you know, here I am working on this. It's like half the half the thing is electronics. My dad hated that. The whole reason we had an old car to work on was because my dad hated to deal with the electronics of newer cars. And here we are, like you know, 2020 fuel injection, all this crazy stuff, and. I have no idea how any of that works, but as soon as I pop that hood and I start going, oh, all right, well, that connects to that and that goes to that. They're all like just <laughs> thing, things that I learned from my dad. My dad was just never afraid to like just get in there and figure it out. Um, and I think that, you know, aside from cars, that's just, I think something that has been ingrained in me that's part of who I am that I learned from him. And I do that every day here at the at the radio studio. I mean, you know, I get silly questions about all kinds of stuff all day long and i mean i mean i may, I may <laughs> not from me from time to time probably <laughs> whatever it is and, and i may not know exactly what to do at the time but you know with a little bit of research due diligence and perseverance right between those three items you can figure just about anything out um 
and I learned that from him. You know, he he was just like a my dad was like a jack of all trades, master of none. You know, veteran in the military, twenty some odd years, was military police at the Air Force Base here in town. And then, you know, for whatever reason, he decided he was going to go become a respiratory therapist and worked at the county hospital. Um, and then he and then he bought a, a big rig truck and was a truck driver and an owner operator. And he decided then, oh, I don't want I don't want to drive in the winter time because I don't like driving the big rig in the snow so i'll drive truck in the summer t- or the, in the in the summertime and then i'll work at the hospital in the wintertime and, and work on cars and, and you know let me just like creative so solutions multifaceted to- <laughs> guy you know <laughs> and, you know I, I feel i feel called upon to put in a put in a word for grief for grieving i should say mm-hmm. in a sense that if you're i i've i've had many clients who Um, their parent dies when they're young and the whole family shuts it down. Like you can't talk about the person that is clearly not true in your family. No, right. You can't talk about the person. No one ever says their name again. It is just locked in a box. Those are the people who come to me for therapy at 30, you know, because it's like uh, they weren't allowed to go through the natural process. Right. So I think that's, kind of a requirement to get to the place we're talking about where we feel that that person's integrated in us and we, you know, see how they've impacted our lives and they're alive for us still, right? Mm -hmm. I think that that is 100% more likely if it's okay to feel the loss in some way. If you don't put it on the table, it'll never get eaten up. It'll never get eaten exactly the the case and some people are more resilient about it i had a guest recently who you know whenever she's feeling that mournful feeling inside of her just says oh to herself okay you have a choice are you going to follow the missing or are you going to follow the connection she chooses connection and goes forward right Um, she she hasn't been devastated by her loss that's fine she's coping with it that's that's grief for her right but She's not trying to avoid anything. She doesn't say go away thought, (laughs) you know, she doesn't say go away missing. She just says, okay, how do you want to respond to that? Mm -hmm. I think, I think accepting what we, what comes up in us. And, and you said yourself, when your dad died, all you wanted to do was escape. Well, that, that wasn't going to work forever, right? You can't escape. (laughs) It's not, (laughs) it's not possible but you can sure try hard and and wreck your life as a result, right? Yeah, and I think that's, <laughs> I think that's where I learned. Um, you know, I did an interview uh, that aired yesterday with a doctor who's about emotional brain training, and the ultimate emotional brain training is probably grief. Uh, you know, it's it, it causes you to do and and feel things that you've never felt before. Um, but one thing I really learned as part of my grieving thing too, was just how to manage my own emotions. Right. And I think so many times in today's society, you know, um, especially in public schools, kids are thought to like, you know, don't have emotions, but I think it's not necessarily don't have emotions. It's like, okay, well, instead of being upset that they're having an emotion, let's back up and let's teach our children how to deal with those emotions. So they don't let their emotions dictate their logic or let their emotions uh, overcome their logic and dictate their actions. Um, I have, I have three grandchildren. Two of them are boys. They're eight and six. 
And of course, you know, they get into it now and then. They're great. They're great friends, but occasionally they just have it out, right? <laughs> and um, <laughs> I'm sure you can imagine. And uh, I'll be visiting and I'll watch this occur. It's usually the older one gets fed up with the younger one. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so, you know, they'll separate them. And then my daughter will say, you seem to be having some big emotions. What's going on? Well, that's such a different message to uh, you're the you're the older one. Don't do that to your brother. You know, uh, you seem to be having some big emotions. What's what's going on? Yeah. You know, uh, that to me will teach resiliency. That will teach uh Checking in with yourself. Whoa, what's going on with me? You know, yeah. all those things that actually favor being able to handle life. Yeah, it's like the same thing I kind of tell my daughter. She has a tendency to get angry if I tell her to do something. When you, hey, you need to clean your room. I say, ah, 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 and, you know, <laughs> I'm like, really? I'm like, why, why do you get so upset to clean your room? Oh, I don't like it. And I'm like, okay, well, A, then don't make a mess in the first place. <laughs> <laughs> right that's that number one uh, but number two I'm like look it, it's okay that you don't want to do something or you don't like to do something and it causes an emotion in you but you know and, and we have these talks and I'm like you know it's okay to have emotions but what you really need to do is number one recognize that you're having the emotion accept that it's an emotion and figure out what you're going to do with it and move on and all of that process that needs to happen needs to happen in your head without a physical reaction. Right. And I, and I have this conversation with her all the time because, um, you know, so many times I see people at the grocery store dealing with their children and it's a, you know, don't do this because I told you so. And they're not having a conversation on, well, what's causing the behavior in the first place. And I feel like, you know, a lot of those things are emotional based, especially in the younger kids. You know, they're, you know, my daughter's six. She's, she's learning and understanding what it means to be angry, sad, happy, you know, all of those things as a young person. And it's my job as a parent to help her to understand, you know, how to deal with those emotions. Emotions. And um, I think that going through the grief that I've gone through in my younger part of my life and and, and now being a father um, has really helped me in that capacity to really understand that portion of parenting that um, that some people who may not have learned that lesson yet don't quite understand. And, you know, it, it manifests a lot in public when I'm out and about and I'm, my wife look my wife and I look at each other and we're like, what are they doing? <laughs> getting like, frustrated like talk, and primal like, like have a, yes have a, you like, know, like, I, like kneel down and look your kid in the eyes and talk to them <laughs> and and here's the thing that kind of practice you know if we live long enough uh, and we don't you know we're not uh, hermits on a mountain somewhere never seeing anyone <laughs> uh, hard times are going to come right yeah, uh, that's life. That's, an, that's an and, inevitable. And, and you can. Uh, I I used to say, you know, I I would. I guess I was practicing for my wife's death, but um, you can't be prepared. But you can prepare. Uh, that what you're doing with your daughter, you know, helping her to identify her emotions and then make a choice about how to act, is a huge. Uh, aspect of resiliency and resiliency will come into play when you have big losses 
And, you know, I've, I've interviewed guests who just got walloped. They had no skills whatsoever. And then the big thing came along and they didn't know what to do. They didn't know how to do it. They didn't, you know, they were lost and they found their way. Otherwise, they wouldn't have been on my show. But it, it took a long time. There's extra steps, right? Then I, I've interviewed people who had, for instance, had a spiritual practice for three decades when their beloved died or something. They do better. <laughs> you know, they have some skills with self-acceptance and, and um, uh, self-support and some ways to navigate big feeling or big, you know, uh, to accept what's going on in them. And that does help. So you're doing, you're doing life training there that comes into play for every guest I've, I've talked to in some way. You know, that, that those skills, you either have them or you have to develop them to really make a good life post-loss. Well, and I'll 100% agree with you on those components for post-loss. But I also think that, <clears throat> excuse me, even to be a well-rounded human being and being able to deal with um you know, all of the stuff that gets thrown at you on a daily basis that causes some kind of an emotional trigger. Um, you know, I think that that's just important training in general, like to be able to manage your emotions. You know, um, it's one of the reasons why, uh, you know, Winston and I are such good friends uh, and, and why we wholeheartedly believe in the idea um, and the principles of martial arts um, because martial arts in, in, in its rawest form is really emotional training. You know, you're training for your emotions and how you can react in certain situations and use your brain rather than your emotions to make decisions. Um, and, and I, and and I, I want to throw in there, important. Brian, I want to throw in there that uh, it's all grief, just bigger or smaller, because to <laughs> me, grief is the difference between what, sh- what you wish was true and what's true. So even let's say someone cuts you off on the on the road, right? Uh, you lost the idea that you were in you were in charge of that of that travel. That was my lane, Cheryl. That was my lane. My lane. I lost that lane, <laughs> and that's a small example of of grief and response. That uh, yeah. those are the five pound weights <laughs> that then collect into um, the capacity to deal with hugely unpreferable circumstance. Oh, I'm guilty so of that one too. Me, that's 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 all. Uh, <laughs> Did you get your driver's all- license in a Cracker Jack box? What is wrong with you? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. A perfectly natural re- reaction. That's the reaction, right? But. Um, the, the longer I work in grief, the, the more things uh, fall into that category for me. Yeah. Politics, we could talk about politics. We could talk about, you know, there are just so many things that involve a loss, <laughs> small or large. Politics does cause me grief. Indeed. But you know, we won't we won't get into that at this point in the hour. But, you know, I think <laughs> I think it's interesting to think of as um, how good are we as people uh, at no matter what our, you know, point of view is at sitting with 
what we don't like. You know, someone else's opinion, yeah. uh, uh, whatever it might be, and how much fear comes up and how much do we react to fear. And, you know, all those things are really intrinsic to how we look at the world. And um, I, I would say that when people have had deep loss and dealt with it, really gone through the feelings attached to that, we get better at, at dealing with the unpreferable because uh, you know how to sit with hard feelings, <laughs> you know, just to just to bottom line it. Yes. Yeah, well, and I, I, that's like a, that's a tough skill, you know, to to manage. I mean, it's really, um, you know, all these emotions, they come from your brain and, you know, you you've got to figure out a way to, you know, I'm not not say suppress them, but, you know, bring them to the forefront, figure it out, deal with it, and then move on to the next thing without, you know, without it popping your bubble, <laughs> you know? I, I think, I think that, that many people don't realize that you can have an emotion without an action. Well, <laughs> <laughs> you know, whoa, whoa. You, 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 you know, people say, well, I'm just being honest. This is how I feel. Well, that's not actually honesty. Right. That's reactivity. That's the same. Uh, uh, that's literally the conversation I have with my kid on, uh, about the whole cleaning of the room. And she gets, she stomps her foot. She has this, this physical, emotional reaction. And then I immediately am like, boom, that's what I'm talking about right there. Sweetheart. I love you. I love you very much. You're having a physical reaction to an emotion. Why? Like you, 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 you can, because I'm sure you'd be um, okay. If she said, Oh daddy, I really hate to clean my room. Can I do it in half an hour yeah, or whatever it exactly. might be? You know, you, she could have a conversation. That would be the action to have a conversation, but she's just reacting. Yep. Right. Mm-hmm. Six year olds do that. <laughs> I'm not <laughs> saying there's anything wrong with her, but um, that's what we're, what I feel uh, part of my frequency is putting out the message that you can actually just have your feelings. It's okay. It's safe. Nothing really terrible is going to happen if you have a feeling and you can let that happen before you decide what to do. Yeah. I mean, in fact, from my experience, I mean, I encourage emotion. I mean, you like the best things that are who humanity is are based on emotion i mean love and art science you know all of those things are um technology right all of those things are 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 yes they're pressed by logic but um people get driven because of emotion you know they're driven to create that next piece of art the emotion is what brings out the creativity in that art um, we have everything for a reason right 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 Right. There's no junk in us. <laughs> There's just how, how we're gonna how we're going to go forward with what we have. And that's how I know that machines will never take over the world because they don't have emotions. True enough. They don't. <laughs> they don't usually have wisdom either, which is an underrated uh, commodity, maybe in the world right now. But it really matters. You know, learned experience and and. Um, 
Well, like what? Taking past but, but, past but what experiences to lead to the future and all that. Well, and I think that's kind of the definition of what is wisdom, right? You know, knowledge is like, you know, I can I can I can have some knowledge of something, a subject matter or whatever, but um, being wise around that is like you know the difference between a first degree black belt and a tenth degree black belt you know the first degree (laughs) black belt has knowledge the tenth degree black belt has wisdom wisdom i I heard a great story once about martial arts that uh there was a period of time where every woman around me was doing martial arts i never quite got there but (laughs) everyone was and i heard this story about a woman who finally got her black belt after years of practice and she was like okay i'm going to test this out you know and she she went into the diviest bar she could find right the worst part of town uh, you know just um you wouldn't want to walk there at night kind of place and went in and ordered a drink and sat down no one came near her (laughs) you know she just emanated confidence and and that's that's wisdom she didn't have to fight yeah, that's true. I mean, a hundred percent. We can we can go we can go into that topic all day long. This is something Winston and I had this conversation way last beyond night. way beyond the hour. Yeah, Winston and but, I had this conversation uh, last night. We were talking about different styles of martial arts, and you know, because I told him, I said, I think I think I found a hole in my daughter's martial arts. You know, my daughter does karate. Winston does uh, uh, taekwondo and qigong and some other Chinese arts, and um, and so I'm like, Winston, there's a hole in this, and he goes. No, no, there's not a hole. They're just not there yet. And uh, which was funny because, you know, I always think about like, you know, part of fighting is aggression. Part of defending yourself is also aggression. And I'm like, well, how do you learn that? And he's like, you don't. It's either there or it's not. Uh, and, and, and but, you know, that's funny that, you know, she she put herself in a scenario where um, had she had to, she would have had uh, been she forced. Could- yeah, uh, my my daughter was in a, a um, program called Destiny Arts here, and um, they have uh, a whole protocol. There's there's martial arts training involved, but it's the last resort. Right. And they have all these steps before that point, and and so if you're if you call out your aggression to deal with the situation, it's mindful, right? Yep. It's the only option that will that will do in that situation. I think that's um, if we all had that, if we all tried everything first, <laughs> yeah. you know, uh, I don't I, I'm not uh, I don't have a big dose. We all have everything, but I don't have a big dose of aggression. Maybe that's why I never ended up in martial arts, right? <laughs> <laughs> maybe, maybe. But, um, but I see that it's part of who we are as humans and something we have to kind of work with i mean aggression in and of itself i mean is an emotion right i mean you you it's yeah it's 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 a it's it's part of our wiring it's a and we feeling that causes a physical it's a feeling that causes a physical reaction (laughs) (laughs) for sure so we're um isn't it interesting we're talking about all these things that don't seem directly grief related but they are yeah and and you know and, I, and I, not where i thought we'd go at all i thought we'd talk about you know how people come to their life's work uh which we are talking about because if you if you have big experiences and they teach you something then you want to give something yeah I mean, uh, it's speaking it, you of know, life's that work, generosity this- comes into play eventually the whole roadmap on how i am sitting right here right now with you doing what i do is a direct result of grief 
amen to that. Me too. You know, I you know my my you can make my connection. Uh, it's obvious, right? Yeah. It's obvious that my experience led to what I do now and affected every aspect of my life. But with you, it wouldn't be ob- obvious necessarily. And I think that's true of a lot of people that, uh, you know, the, the, the thing we end up doing comes from hard experiences. The person who gets divorced and is, <laughs> is just flattened by it and then has to figure out, okay, how am I going to support my children? I better yeah. go back to school. And, you know, uh, many of the most profound lessons we learn come from what we would never have chosen. Yeah, I have a, I have a, a statement I want to share with you in that regard. Um, I love sports um, for a lot of different reasons, not just because I mindlessly sit in front of the television and watch sports, but I like the idea of sports. I like the team mentality. I like things that people can learn from sports and um, uh uh, I'm I'm from Phoenix, so I'm a hometown Phoenix fan of all things Arizona based, you know, football, baseball, basketball, all that stuff. And the Phoenix Suns got a new uh, head coach this season, and uh, his name was Monty Williams. And like a year or a year and a half ago, his wife died, and um, he was left uh, as a widower with uh, two two daughters. And, you know, he, he was extremely resilient in that space and decided, you know what, I'm going to go back and, and coach basketball again. He ended up now he's the head of the Phoenix Suns. But um, we were at one of the media events. And one thing that he said struck me like a right cross to the face. And he said, everything you want is on the other side of hard. Right. Perfect. And I went, man. What what if you lived by a mantra like that, you know, that everything you want is on the other side of hard, you know, whether it's powering through grief in any which way, shape or form, whether it's going back to school, whether it's, you know, waking up at two o'clock in the morning. I did this today. My daughter woke, you know, was like throwing up this morning and then my wife and her are home today. Um I care about her. So everything I want for her is on the other side of hard. You know, everything I want for myself is on the other side of hard. Um, And so it really did struck me like that. And I think that was a a, a great example to kind of sum up some of the things that we've been talking about today. Absolutely. And the thing is, uh, once you've been through what you would have considered the worst thing that could happen to you, you know, my wife dying, your father dying, what is it that you can't do? What is it that holds you back from your true direction? I can't do brain surgery. Well, you right. wouldn't want to do brain surgery. Here's, no, here's what, the thing. What though. I'm saying just, is if there's right something <laughs> if there's something that calls you, there's there's kind of no excuse in a way. Yeah. Uh you've done harder things. And I'm not saying 100%. you in particular. No, all of us. General you, all of us. Once you once you've had you know, my wife died. I don't even believe anxiety anymore because I did that, right? <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, uh, I, I think there's some power in that, facing up to what you think you can't handle and seeing that you did. There's some empowerment in it. Yeah, and I think if that's a takeaway for people on this radio show is just, you know, think about things before – 
because if you think about it long enough, you think about it hard enough, it's not as hard as you really think it is. So stop thinking and take action. <laughs> and and it might be very, very hard and doable. Yeah, agreed. There's that too. <laughs> Cheryl Jones, thank you so much for joining us on the show today. We really appreciate this dialogue it was wonderful. And um, it's a little a little change in what we normally do on finding your frequency, but I think it's a great change because, you know, we talk so much about, you know, following your passions and all those things. And we don't get enough time to talk about why people follow their passions. And I think this conversation around how grief drives you to, uh, to do things, how grief drives us, uh, you know, post-traumatic growth. Um, I thank you for, for bringing this conversation to the table and thank you for being on finding your frequency today. It's been my pleasure. Ladies and gentlemen, you're listening to Ryan Treasure, Finding a Frequency guest, Cheryl Jones. Make sure you check out her radio show on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel airs Wednesday at 2 p.m. Pacific time called Good Grief. Go check it out. It's on iTunes, TuneIn, Google Play, Stitcher, iHeart, Spotify, and everywhere podcasts can be found. And of course, if you're listening to this radio show, please make sure to give us five stars because five stars are way better than four. And share it with your friends because you want to keep growing this thing. Thank you guys so much for tuning in. This is Finding a Frequency right here on the Voice America. America Talk Radio Network.